Conservation Queens podcast. We are five girls who love the earth and have a passion for living a more eco-friendly life. We are real-life zoo employees, and as always, nothing that we say reflects our organizations and all of our thoughts and opinions on our own. Uh, Just please keep in mind that we try to keep this podcast PG-13, so if you have younger listeners, you may want to listen to this beforehand. And I'm Emily A., Oh, I'm Abby. <laughs> I'm Katie. I'm Kenzie. I'm Emily B. With that, let's talk about stuff. <laughs> this is how my week's going. <laughs> we all remember our names, I promise. So before we jump right on into this episode's topic, we want to give out a fan shout out. Uh, thank you, everyone, for voting in the Battle Royale. The winner was, drumroll. The Indian flying fox. No. Honorable mention to the bumblebee bat who was runner up. Thank you. Why? Why? We ghost bat is a cotton ball of fluff (laughs) and adorableness hanging from palm fronds. I am so salty. I can't even tell you. Listen, I had. The Our weirdest bat, and no one loved it. I'm angry. <laughs> All I know is this I'm is the second time I've bat. been snubbed because beluga whales won our first episode, and Simings were right up there with them. And now we got to stop. Too, we got to stop letting Emily B choose animals Emily because B it's not. <laughs> she keeps winning. It's not fair. I think she has an army that all are like, I voted for this. Go on this Instagram story and vote for this. So mine wins. Well, to be fair, my um, mom listened to our bat episode like two days ago and she texted me and she was like, is it still too late to vote? Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm sorry, mom. So that might have pushed us to a tie, but um, it's fine. I won't. I won't argue with it. So, oh, my man. mom has been has been starting recently and she said her favorite one so far was the rhino horn episode. Oh, it's a good episode. That was a good one. one. Good one. I think we got one more fan shout out. Yeah. So someone that some of us conservation queens know, his name is Johnny. Um, We gave him a little sneak peek into what our topic would be. Um, And he chatted with me all about cryptic animals. And he said that the Thunderbird was super cool. So shout out to Johnny. We're not going Hi, to Johnny. talk about the Thunderbird, but we are going to talk about a few other ones that uh, he mentioned. Yeah. But we do like Thunderbirds. And if you know your American wizarding house from the Harry Potter franchise, shout out to all the fellow Thunderbirds, because that's what I oh, am. I have no idea what my American Hogwarts house is. It's not even it's not a Hogwarts house, whatever it's called is. But anyway. I don't even remember, but I'm a Thunderbird. Cool. Whatever that means. But- it's a bird. I didn't care. I was fine. I'm a Ravenclaw <laughs> and a Thunderbird. I was happy to be wow. in the same theme of things. That does fit you very well, I will say. Thanks. <laughs> so we do have a conservation update for you all. This is just an article that I saw um, today that I thought was really, I just think it's neat. Um, Montreal <laughs> is officially home to the largest rooftop greenhouse in the world. And it's as big as three football fields and can feed 2% of the city. Wow. So way to Whoa. go, Canada. 
You know what I think, Katie? What? That's pretty neat. It is. It is really <laughs> neat. Did we forget about that meme? Because that's the best no, one. That, that's I was, so I, like, good. I always say that in reference to that meme. For those that don't know, it's literally a meme of Marge Simpson holding like What? Wait, no, what? it's not. What? This is from the YouTube video where the guy is like, nature. That's pretty neat. Oh, that is not what I was referring to at all. Uh, we'll talk later. Okay. This is important. This is this is going to be on our other podcast about memes. Anyway. <laughs> Coming up on conservation memes. Oh, uh, <laughs> my God. Yes. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. We're going to go on to Zoo News now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So somebody wrote in here, Dallas Zoo has new lion cubs. Spoiler alert. Every zoo this week had a baby animal birth. I searched yeah. zoo on Google News. Everybody had babies. It's awesome. I love it. I'm not going to go through them all because there were, I think there were literally 25 different animals that were born this week. I'm very excited for everybody. I do not have time. Well, I'm going to go through one because it's really important to me. Um, also because it's kind of crazy. There was a Western chimpanzee born to a 43-year-old mother at Chester Zoo in the UK. Wow. Um, crap. Yeah. Western chimpanzees are a critically endangered species, so obviously this birth is just really um, important to the species in general. But also, go mama! Chimpanzees are estimated to live between 40 and 50 years in the wild and like 50 to 60 in zoos. That's like so, a, uh, that's like an 80-year-old mama. woman giving birth to a baby. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> yeah, so like, wow, amazing. Good for her! <laughs> I just thought that was, that was neat. Oh, man. Alrighty, friends. It is time for the best segment of Conservation Queens, Maluga News. You already know. So this week, um, I know last week we talked about the Beluga calf that was born at the shed. Very exciting. Well, this week, we're just going to double the fun. Um, Their other pregnant Beluga, Naya, gave birth to her calf. Now, this was actually a very unique birth. Um, because Naya actually um, was pregnant with twins. Now, there has never been a recorded case of twins being born to belugas um, in the wild. Um, now, because this was a very unique situation, um, the other calf did not survive, but one of them did. Um, because they were twins, um, the one that did survive was born prematurely. He was only 67 pounds at birth. Um, now, this is much, much lower birth weight than um, belugas are known to be born at. Usually they're around 120 to 140 pounds, so almost double that. Um, but the calf that was born and it survived um, is doing very, very well. Um, they have seen a lot of promising things coming from the mom who's an experienced mom um, and the team at the Shed Aquarium is incredible with their belugas. So we wish them all the best and we hope that all of the belugas are doing great. All right, everyone. So welcome to spooky season. But is it though? Is it? Yes, yes it yes. is. September yes. is the start of Halloween, obviously. I thought it was yeah, October, it but we'll nope, we, uh, nope, we nope. start early mm-hmm. in this house. <laughs> Halloween is a two-month event. Okay. Like, September I, I, is like the pre-Halloween, like you're building up to it, and then October is the true Halloween, but whatever. It's fine. Okay, I do have one request, though. I know that we all love Christmas season, can we wait until at least three days after Christmas? Because my birthday is the second of November, and I hate when I look around and all my friends put up Christmas trees, no. and I'm like, "Wait, in wait, November it is Christmas season." 
Well, see, so that's the same logic that I follow by Halloween. I do, so it makes sense. You know what? We take a pause. We take a pause in the middle of November for your birthday, and we'll take a pause for Thanksgiving. But the rest of it, it's Christmas. Okay, that's fine. All right. But what's our anyway? Theme? Our... <laughs> so the... Welcome to conservation tangents <laughs> where we don't talk about conservation and just argue for 30 minutes um, 30 <laughs> like an hour but okay yes that's true um <laughs> so this week to kind of celebrate the beginning of spooky season is we're talking about cryptozoology Ooh. or if you're one of my professors listening it's cryptozoology uh, what get it <laughs> That was a funny joke for anybody who's in the know about that debate that happens. Anyway, so um, what is cryptozoology, you might be asking? The textbook says it is the study of evidence tending to substantiate the existence of or the search for creatures whose reported existence is unproved, such as the abominable snowman or the Loch Ness Monster. Or a monster. Wow. You're here. (laughs) Um, so cryptozoology is considered a pseudoscience um, by the academic community because it does not follow the scientific method because every time they try to follow the scientific method, it doesn't work. Weirdly. Well, not always, but a lot of times when you follow the scientific method, it's, it's hard. Um, so while biologists rarely discover, regularly discover new species, cryptozoologists generally focus on creatures from folklore. And that is something that can be beneficial and not um, a good example of like how cryptozoology has contributed to science is the animal called the okapi have you guys heard about this before <laughs> yes. yes but tell us more it, this is the coolest thing so for a long time um the okapi had been known to be like this mystical like almost we call i call it the unicorn of africa this like magic creature that had a giraffe head and a zebra bot and like bot. nobody knew bot <laughs> I was gonna say body and then butt and then it just you know just keep going <laughs> we're fine um it, you know Okapi has a giraffe head and a zebra butt and everybody was like that does not sound like a real animal and you're right it sure doesn't sound like a real animal but then in 1902 um western um, scientists found it in the African Congo and they were like oh. oh so it just goes to show and I always say this as something that's really important if you are a researcher looking up new animals and like trying to figure out does this animal exist go ask local people because they know more than you always about what's around the area right like the locals, I'm sure, knew about the Okapi for a really long time. They were like, yes, obviously it exists. We see it. Like, not often, but once in a while. And then Western medicine finally was just like, yeah. Or not medicine. Yeah. Just Western. <laughs> the Western world. Gotcha. The Western world. I keep thinking Western medicine because I just thought about the rhino horn again. Mm. That's actually what went, went through my brain when you said that, too. Okay. Kind of see, funny. like, I'm not crazy. So what we're going to focus on with this episode is not necessarily whether these cryptids are real or not, because I think we all have, like, our own opinions on that. Um, And we all, like, here's the thing. I want all these animals to be real. I just need proof for them to be real. That's the thing. But I want them to be because they're funky. Flurry photos are not proof enough for you. (laughs) 
if I can explain it away by something different, then I have a lot of trouble believing that it's yeah, real. Yeah, I, as much as I really want there to be all these Sasquatches just, like, walking around, <laughs> I don't really think there are. I would love that, too, to be honest. I just don't think that's true. But I do really like watching Finding Bigfoot because I think it's the same episode over and over and it cracks me up. It really is. It's the dumbest. It's just not good, but it's so good. It's like really good garbage. If you really want to laugh, you would watch the BuzzFeed Unsolved episode about Bigfoot. That is very funny because they just make fun of it. They're both like, nah, we both are like, nah, this ain't Uh. For anyone that's never seen BuzzFeed Unsolved, you are missing out. It is amazing. 10 out of 10. Yeah. Sometimes I listen, I don't know why I do this, I listen to it when I'm like falling asleep, but I only listen to the true crime ones, not to the, um, like. That makes no sense to me because it's it terrifying, doesn't. but okay. I don't know. It doesn't, it's not scary to me. Um, but anyway, so we're focusing on not like whether they're real or not, but what their legends are and how they might have come the legends have come to be like the okapi being a real animal yeah all right so we are going to kick off this cryptid episode with probably one of the most iconic cryptids in my opinion i feel like most people when you think of a cryptid the top two that come up are sasquatch and this one um so i'm going to be talking about the loch ness monster so the loch ness monster is this a beast that is said to inhabit Loch Ness, which is a lake in Scotland. Um, Now this lake is 754 feet deep and it covers over 22 square miles. So it is quite a large lake. Uh, Definitely could hold a beast in my opinion. Now the oldest known um, record of the Loch Ness monster goes all the way back to the year 565 AD. Um, And there were all of these stories that came out that basically had Um, some sort of beast that lived in the river that leads to Loch Ness. So similar. um, And a lot of people think that these stories are talking about a Kelpie, which is a mythological creature that's like a water horse. Um, But people who are like gung-ho Loch Ness monster people say that this is is the story that started it all. Um, And they actually use this as evidence saying that, well, this is how the Loch Ness monster got to Loch Ness as it came in through the river, which makes sense, I guess. Now, the most famous sightings of the Loch Ness Monster go um, come up to the year 1933 and 34. Um, if you've seen like fi- pictures of the Loch Ness Monster, these are the photos you've seen. They came from this time period. Um, now, most of the photos that have come out from this time period have been proven to be hoaxes, which is quite unfortunate if you ask me. Um, but the reason that all these sightings happened around this time, people point to there was a lot of Um, drilling and explosions tied to some construction to a road that is near Loch Ness. Um, And so people say that the noise of all this drilling and construction is what drove the monster out. And that's why all of these sightings happened around that time period. Um, In the 1960s, there's actually a Loch Ness Investigation Bureau, kind of like their version of the FBI, I guess. And they conducted a 10-year observational survey Um, And they recorded an average of 20 sightings of the Loch Ness Monster per year, which, I mean, how can you have that many sightings and still not know? That's what I want to know. Like I said, most of the known photos that are very popular and circulate online are known to be hoaxes. Um, The people who have created them have come out and said, like, yes, I faked it. Um, But there are still some out there that are unexplained. Um, There's also a lot of, like, weird sonar readings um, that people have like 
discovered when they are taking um, sonar of the lake that they can't quite explain. Um, so could be out there, could be out there. Um, some people think that the Loch Ness Monster is uh, like a remnant dinosaur. Um, people look to uh, marine dinosaurs like a Leoplerodon or a Plesiosaur, um, especially with the long neck and the flippers. Um, that's what they think. Honestly, that's kind of where I would place my money. Um, obviously, I mean, my personal opinion, Loch Ness Monster, could it be real? I'm going to say yes. Um, other people have said uh, that they think the Loch Ness Monster is just eels um, that churn up the water. Um, and there are eels confirmed in Loch Ness. So they think that that's probably it. Uh, but I think the coolest part of this whole story is that tourism related to Nessie and the Loch Ness Monster accounts for $80 million of Scotland's um, economy every year, uh, which is crazy to me. Um, honestly, like if I ever got the chance to go to Loch Ness and look for Nessie, I definitely would. And I definitely would pay for a tour. Like that's right up my alley. Um, so I can see how this is true. But, um, you know, final thoughts. I think Nessie definitely could be real. Is she? Maybe yes, maybe no. But I think she could be real. Thank you, Emily B., for that cool account of Nessie. Um, now we're going to go into a bit of a colder climate, if you will, to Burr. one of my favorite cryptids out there, the Yeti. Heck Woo. yeah, let's do this. Betty so, the Yeti! Betty the Yeti. <laughs> yes, the Yeti is a pretty prominent figure in Himalayan folklore. Uh, but long before the Yeti appeared in, like, memoirs and reports of, like, br British officers and other Westerners, it was a well-known figure in the myths, legends, folklore, and folk tales of several communities living in the Himalayas. Um, really an integral part of Sherpa and Tibetan myth and religion. Um, and you can that find... That makes it better. Yeah, it's it's very ingrained and. In, um, I mean, I'll name some for you now. It, you can find folklore of the Yeti. And it's not always called the Yeti. It's called different things, depending on what um, culture you're looking at. But there are hints of the Yeti in Buddhism, Lepcha folklore, Bhutanese? Yes, I believe that's it. Yeah. Thank you. Folklore, Sukhumese folklore, Hindu myth, Sherpa folklore, and other various descriptions across Asia. So pretty widespread. Um while these legends vary, some of the tales have pretty common themes, those being the Yeti is generally defined or described as some sort of large primate-like creature. Wow, I wonder why Katie chose the Yeti as her cryptid. <laughs> Incredible. We'll <laughs> um, be able to figure out why I picked mine. <laughs> Fun fact, uh, when you Google search Yeti on Google Images, you just get a bunch of water bottles. What? <laughs> Oh, the Yeti. Cup. Is that a brand? Is that a brand of? Yeah, yes. Really yeah. great, also uh, insanely expensive water bottle. Well, yeah, like a hydro ridiculous. flask on crack. Why wouldn't I immediately get pictures of the abominable snowman? But okay, anyways. to be fair, the first picture is the abominable snowman, and the caption is "Yeti set go." <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Well, there's so many different legends about the Yeti. Um, a lot of the tales have a common theme, and that being that the Yeti is associated with some sort of danger. 
uh, which makes a lot of sense because, you know, a lot of the reason why people tell folk tales is to usually tell a lesson, teach a lesson, or give some sort of, like, you know, warning. And people in these communities told stories of a dangerous creature in the mountains. It was most likely to warn people of the dangers of going up into the mountains in the first place, especially children, uh, as the region has severe weather and other threats, like other dangerous animals that do actually live in the mountains um even though we don't know if the yeti does or not but anyways now the idea of like the abominable snowman did come from westerners um when they began traveling more frequently to um the himalayas uh, the stories of the yeti became way more sensational around the 1900s um But in 1921, the name Abominable Snowman came from a mistranslation between a journalist and their guide on the mountain. The guide told them they saw these very large footprints in the snow. And the guide said in their language that it was um, from a creature called um, what translated to Man Bear Snowman. And the journalist mistranslated Man Bear, that word, as the word filthy in his language. So he basically heard him say, like, filthy snowman, which, you know, <laughs> makes a lot of sense. So, that dirty snowman, yeah. he's been rolled around in too much sand. Exactly. So then when he was writing his article about his journey there, he changed filthy to abominable because it sounded better. And that is where we get the term abominable snowman. It's from that mistranslation. Isn't that great? <laughs> So while there have, yeah, it is kind of neat how that happens. That happens so often. You know what, Katie? Yes. Katie? What? That's pretty neat. (laughs) Thanks. I think so too. (laughs) Now, there have been many people that have gone up to Mount Everest in search of the Yeti, especially in that time period when it became so sensationalized. There have been many footprints, skulls, hair samples, and sightings over the years of the Yeti, but all have been credited, um, at least the footprints, skulls, hair samples, to other animals that live on the mountain, mostly bears. And even, this one time they found a skull and they were like, this is a Yeti skull. Um, It turned out it was an extinct species of goat that used to live up in the mountain. (laughs) (laughs) My bad! Sorry, guys. It's a goat. (laughs) Really love that. Um, A lot of them are credited specifically to the Asian black bear. Or sorry, Asian brown bear, not black bear. um, Because they are a tree climbing bear. Explain the opposable looking digit found on the footprints, which make them look kind of hominoid or human-like. Which is where they get like the primate idea or something that is not a bear, but more like a human or... um, big ape thing so what's like probably the most famous footprint that's ever been found of the yeti was in 1951 and it was found by eric shipton in the baroon valley where there's a lot more moisture than any other valley in the himalayan system making it very jungle-like um the footprint was really large and it bore a lot of similarity to a hominoid footprint so immediately he was like this is it i found the yeti i did it where's my prize you know that must have been truly like quite a feeling though stumbling upon it was like a perfectly preserved footprint in the snow um and he took a photo of it and there's been a lot of debate about what that footprint is but 
what really was the truly amazing thing that came out of this discovery is that while he was in this area, he described it as one of the most dense, like remote, um, probably truly like one of the really wild places left on earth, like untouched by man. And he noticed that um, after he traveled through that area, that it was under threat by human encroachment and clear cutting for timber. So he was pretty concerned by that because he'd walked, you know, he'd seen all this amazing stuff that was in that area. So he started actually working with the local community to manage the whole landscape rather than just the pockets that they were kind of managing within it. And this actually created a protected national park that is still there today called the Yeti Trail. Oh, wow. And that is community-based conservation for y'all. I was reading an article um, that was an interview with him, and he said, he was like, look, like, when I thought about this, I'm, I'm not World Wildlife Fund. Like, I don't have the means to just, you know, buy all that land and be like, cool, it's protected now. So he did what he knew how to do, and that was just talk to the like the locals in the community and try to figure out something they could all do together to protect it and they did and i think that's amazing that's really cool yeah isn't it so even though the yeti may or may not be up in the mountains um it has led to some pretty cool uh environmental wins however just something to add at the end here Unfortunately, there is a lot of problems caused by the tourism that you now find on Mount Everest. Um, A lot of times when tourists climb the mountain, they leave debris behind, and that has had a really negative impact on the environment. Um, People will leave behind their food wrappers, their climbing gear, and oxygen cylinders, and just, you know, discard it and keep on going up or down the mountain. Uh, Because carrying all of that can get really tiring and heavy on the journey. So in 2014, Nepal's tourism ministry began requiring that every climber going beyond base camp will be required to bring back at least 17.6 pounds of trash of their personal waste and hand it over to the station. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, but everyone was like, how are you going to enforce that, though? If it's between your life. Like, if you're that close to exhaustion and that dangerous of a place and some trash, people are going to choose their life. What if you don't produce that much trash? You know, it's like all those questions. So it's still kind of iffy on how that's being enforced. Um, But also, Nepal earns $3.3 million a year in climbing fees. So it is an important part of their economy. Um, So it's kind of um, what they concluded as it needs to be an effort by the tourists the um what am i looking for here the tourism like industry and the locals to really start getting that trash out of that environment um so hopefully yeah it's a group effort yeah that um that you know reverses but clean up your stuff people don't matter if you're on mount everest or going for a little day trip to the beach I, there's a word for that what oh leave no trace <laughs> oh my gosh yes. oh yeah that thing <laughs> But yeah, so I think the Yeti in conclusion is pretty neat, whether he's really there or not. You know what, Katie? I think he's had an a overall positive impact, even if he does not exist, which I'm not saying Maybe. I know because I don't. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's pretty neat. 
Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I learned a lot about the Yeti over the past few days. So that was pretty cool. Um, I think, Kate, you you hit it out of the park with your Yeti there. Thank you. Yeah, it made it really good. All right, so this next cryptid that we're going to be talking about is also found somewhere up in the mountains, but he's a little bit different. Um, and to introduce him, I have a song I would like to sing for you all. So. <laughs> Here we go. Mothman, there's a place you can go. I said Mothman. When you make a film, you can play there. And I'm sure you will find many ways to scare the Poundsfolk, because you're a really big M O T H, a really, really big M O T H. I'm nodding my head. Creepy, glowing red eyes and the M of surprise, because you're a really big M O T H, a really, really big M O T H. You're a true creepy superstar. We're talking Mothman, baby. I'm crying. That was beautiful. I didn't even know there was a song for Mothman. So you did it? No, no, I didn't know it was for the YMCA. Oh, Mm -hmm. it's it's quality content. I I listened to it on my way to work when I need a a pump-up tune, so... (laughs) I hope, listeners, this made your day. (laughs) It made mine! That's good. (laughs) But anyways, now that your eardrums are now bleeding, uh, let me tell you a little bit about (laughs) what Mothman actually is. So Mothman is true, red-blooded American folklore hero. He is a cryptid that (laughs) 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 So Mothman is a true and blue, red-blooded American folklore hero and cryptid. He was first allegedly sighted in 1966 around Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Now, he was seen by two couples that were out for a little nighttime drive. And they described the picture at the height of a man with a really impressive wingspan and very distinct glowing red eyes that apparently chased them as they drove back home in a panic. Now there oh, are lots right? I would say that's uh that's pretty scary. Now there are I lots feel of like I don't know anything about West Virginia, but the fact that they have Mothman going for them <laughs> <laughs> West Virginia Mothman, Mothman. Oh, that's true. Okay, they have that song and they also have Mothman, so they're doing pretty well in my book. <laughs> Lots of coal, which is not the best thing. <laughs> That's true. So we'll get into okay. that. <laughs> so there are lots of theories abounding on who what the supposed creature is. There are people who claim it's an extraterrestrial to others saying it's a demon to a supernatural harbinger. Now, in the Mothman folktale, many also claim that this creature was actually sent as a warning for the Silver Bridge collapse in 1967, which was the last time he'd been sighted for a good while in that area. Have you guys heard of the Silver Bridge collapse? No, please explain. Yeah, so the Silver Bridge um, collapse was across the Ohio River, and what happened was that uh, due to faulty construction, it collapsed in the middle of the day during rush hour traffic, and 46 oh. people actually 
died. My oh gosh. my gosh. Yeah, yeah. So Mothman has um, some darker origins tied into the overall legend, but it's again, it's claimed that he, he was, was actually there. Yeah, he was like, listen, you need to check your construction. Look at the permit. Yeah, so, but apparently there's a Georgian newspaper that said that he appeared in Moscow uh, in the 1990s, early 2000s. During Moscow? Yeah, in Moscow. Like, Mothman has a passport? I don't understand. <laughs> um, he don't need a passport. He got wings. <laughs> so, wow, that's he's... so, like, random, though, that someone in Moscow would be like, Mothman? <laughs> Question mark. <Yeah. laughs> they're reading I'm a newspaper and they're like, I think I know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Mothman is... He's an icon. I, I don't know how else to describe him. He is That's an icon. I, if I saw Mothman, I would know exactly who it was. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, even if you didn't know the legend, you'd be like, hmm, he looks half moth, half man. <laughs> what should I call him? Oh, I know! But the description of him in that initial sighting or story doesn't sound like doesn't a moth to me. No, but you know what it does sound like? What? Owl. A bird. Yes! <laughs> because <laughs> what is Mothman really? It's more than likely probably a bird. A lot of wildlife biologists theorize that the sightings might actually be a sandhill crane. Um, oh, oh, those guys yeah, this was actually proposed by wildlife biologist Dr. Robert L. Smith at West Virginia University. And so after reviewing the sightings himself, he actually told news reporters that the description fit in with the sandhill crane. Now, for our listeners who don't know what a sandhill crane is, they are a large bird, a large crane, and they can stand as high as a man with a seven-foot wingspan, and they have reddish coloring around the eyes. Now, it's possible that this bird may have wandered off its migration route, and then you're driving around at night. It's the 60s, so I don't know what's going on. And then you see this thing out in the middle of the field and it starts to fly after you. I would probably think it was something else, too. Um, but also something else that was really interesting is that the description of the glowing red eyes actually fits in with barn owls. So hmm. if you guys That's... think about whenever you shine, yeah, when yeah. you shine your light through the trees at night, sometimes you catch, you know, little bits of light looking back at you. So that's eye shine animal. It's very common. You can see it in cats and dogs. Tapitum lucidum. Yep, there you go. There's the scientist's name. Or in this case, a barn owl. That, yeah. I could see that. Like, if there was, a, if you were in a car and an owl, like, fly behind, flew behind your car. Yeah. Yeah, I would be a little yeah. freaked out, too. Also, But do you see this statue of him? <laughs> I am just about to get there, actually. Because um, I don't like him. Are you talking about the statue that has a really nice butt for no reason? Have you seen the front side? Oh, no. Yeah. Look it's at the front side. Listeners, go look up um, pictures of the Mothman statue. It'll it'll give you a hoot and a half and a holler. This is a real statue in, in West Oh, he Virginia. does have a nice butt. Look at his butt. <laughs> I told <laughs> Yeah, but getting on his, track. Oh, his wow, front is not nice, though. I don't like his front. That's quite an interesting statue. It's very shiny. 
He's art. He is an American folklore phenomenon. Whether or not it's it's an entertaining story, but I think Mothman is also a really good example of how easy it is to misconstrue things when you're out in the dark, especially in the woods at night. And the human brain is pretty good at playing tricks on you, especially when you're in a state of fear or anxiety. So, oh yeah, you know, when you're walking through the woods, it's not always necessarily Mothman. Do I wish he's real? Kinda, but in the yeah. meantime, we're <laughs> You guys are talking I'd like to about think Mothman is watching over us right now. Yes. <laughs> Mothman 2020. Oh, but speaking oh, of which, Ellie. in 2020, uh, a petition was started to replace all Confederate statues in the United States with statues of Mothman. <laughs> and July, the petition has garnered over 2,000 signatures. So oh, this where's the link? To all of our conservation queen listeners out there, sign that petition. <laughs> let's get rid of those racist statues and let's put in a true American hero, Mothman. But can we redesign <laughs> his statue first? Because, like, no, I don't I like it. it. Per- I think it's perfect. I, I, I think, it's I think the, yeah. the back is fine, but the front freaks me out. Well, when we that is, that redesign it, we'll consult with you, Abby. Okay, thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> so speaking of American treasures. Um, yeah, I forgot you both are doing American cryptids. That's this, exciting. Okay, so I have to give, give some backstory here. I am doing an animal called the Hodag. And I just love that name. And if you are sitting there thinking, man, that sounds like some Midwestern bullshit, that's because it is. It is, <laughs> it is some hard midwestern bullshit and i love it so much the reason i chose this is because i grew up in minnesota wisconsin right next door and this was from wisconsin and we went on a road trip one time and we stopped at this statue and i was like dad you've got to tell me what what's happening here because it looks crazy and that's why i went over the hodag so i'm gonna tell you about it um, also, it has a scientific name. Are you serious? What? Yeah, yeah it does. It is Bovinus Spiritualis. Spiritual cow? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. It does not look like a cow. Mm-hmm. I'm um, going to have to Google it. This. Yeah. So, this... Uh, cryptid is from Rhinelander, Wisconsin, which is a town Oh, oh it is so interesting looking. Isn't it cool? Oh my goodness. I'll describe it in a minute here. Um, Rhinelander is a town that is in the middle of nowhere in northern Wisconsin in the middle of the woods. So, keep that in mind. A place where cryptids definitely live. A hundred percent. And the cool part about this is that like it kind of like put Rhinelander on the map, so that's kind of fun. So the Hodag was first sighted in 1893 by a man named Eugene Shepard, who was a land surveyor, slash a timber cruiser, slash a well-known prankster. So can you guess where this is going? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, Shepard, um, one day came back to Rhinelander and he's like I saw this weird thing in the woods you guys gotta come help me figure out what it is and he rounded up some townspeople and they went to go kill this beast 
Uh, and the, I mean, <laughs> kill the beast style, literally. Follow Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> this is listen. This could be the origin story. Um, and apparently they had to use dynamite to kill it, is what the reports <laughs> say, which is also very funny to me. Um, so when he came back to the town, he described an animal that was a large bull-horned carnivore with the head of a frog, the face of an elephant minus the trunk. Which okay. I don't, I don't That's know how to not do really it. the face of an elephant. Then. <laughs> this is this is what he said. I this is verbatim what the article said: <laughs> thick, short legs, the back of a dinosaur, and a tail with spears. Yeah, this sounds like something someone was like. Um, let's let me think of a few animals here, and he got bored in the woods and came up with this thing. Is I I feel like what happened. There's no. And that's literally how like the animators in Beauty and the Beast came up with the beast. Yeah, like what right? animals can we jam into this? Guy? I would not be surprised. This wasn't cited in any articles I read, but I would not be surprised if they were like this. Uh, was partial inspiration for the beast because it kind of looks like him too. A little bit. A little bit. Um, so apparently when he discovered this amazing creature, he learned that it, there's not very many of them around the, the Rhinelander woods, right? Because there's not very many white bulldogs and he only eats white bulldogs and he only eats them. He only eats them on Sunday. (laughs) Yeah, this is, uh, this is a little, some Midwest bullshit, right? (laughs) This is some Midwest bullshit, which is why I love it so much. Um, so then if you thought that was crazy, it gets weirder. You ready? In 1986, this is three years later, Shepard claimed to capture a live hodag. And he did so by finding in its cave, boarding it up, putting a chloroformed rag on the end of a stick, sticking it into the hole that he left open, and then... With the help of, I kid you not, some bear wrestlers, they captured a live hodag. And if that's not crazy enough, they brought it to the Oneida County Fair and people saw this thing and believed it was real. Oh my god. There is no report that I found that says exactly what this thing was that they brought back. Spoiler alert, not a hodag. Because it's not a real thing. But they, like, had this, like, live specimen that you could pay 10 cents to go see at the Oneida County Fair. It was probably, like, their dog in a costume. It looks like, if you look at the photographs of a hodag, it looks like a bulldog in a costume. It really does. Oh, yeah, but people, sure. But people believed it. Which is, like, I think a testament to how good of a prankster this man was. Because he was like, oh, three years ago I came up with this thing. And he's like, man, people aren't talking about it anymore. Oh, I've got. Oh my god! This. It totally looks like a dog in a costume. Doesn't it look like a dog in a costume? <laughs> it's funny. It looks like a white bulldog in a costume. Is what it looks like. That's why he said he ate white bulldogs. That's why he said he ate white bulldogs. That's what I think. But again, I hadn't. I didn't see any articles that said that was true or not. But that, in in my, my brain, goodness. that's what's happening, um, which I think is very very funny. So, because he had this specimen, it gained a ton of attention nationwide as you can probably imagine right Mm -hmm. so of course word reaches the smithsonian institute of natural history in washington dc 
that somebody in Rhinelander, Wisconsin has captured this large, crazy animal. And so they're like, oh, we're going to send some zoologists out to go look at this thing. Oh, boy. And at that point is when Shepard was like, guys, JK, I made it up. This, this was not, it's not real. Uh, I definitely made it up. Uh, I kind of apologize, but not really. And it's all fake. I, I'm very sorry. So he admitted that it was not a real thing. But at that point, the damage had kind of been done. But I think in the best way. Because now everybody knows it's not a real animal. But it became, like, the thing in Rhinelander, Wisconsin. So a list of things that it does. It is the high school mascot for Rhinelander High School. I love it. The weirdest mascot out there. Except for that weird orange fluffy thing that that one hockey team has. Uh, oh, oh, um, oh my god, what's his name? Uh, I don't care. Himself. I don't like He's a cryptid. I don't like him. Um, uh, there's Gritty. also His name is Gritty. It doesn't matter. I don't like him. He shouldn't exist. He's the Flyers mascot, yeah. Yeah, he's bad. No, he's bad. I no, I don't. Okay. He looks like a rejected Muppet from Muppet, Sesame Street. Yeah. He sure does, and I still love him, though. Okay. Well, there's also a Hodag music festival every single wow. year in Rhinelander. Uh, there's a statue made out of um, fiberglass outside the Rhinelander Chamber of Commerce, which I have a picture next to. That's the one that where I first discovered it. I will not show that picture because uh, my I was not the most attractive child. And um, there are also two... Girl. Every <laughs> child born in the 90s was not an attractive child. I don't know no. what is going on currently, but we're all in the same boat. No judgment. <laughs> it makes me feel better. Um, there's also two statues of the Hodeg in the Rhinelander Ice Arena. One of it is a full body statue outside. And the second one, and this is the coolest shit I've ever heard. It's just the head, but the head has red glowing eyes that light up and it spits smoke. <laughs> Oh, that's fun. I want to go. I want to go to a hockey game in Rhinelander if I get to watch this hodag. I want to go to a Philadelphia Flyers game. So no, <laughs> you go, go there. I'll go there. Okay. I want to go to the Festival in Point Pleasant. We should. Yeah, do that. that would be actually. We could do super that. Fun. That's on our conservation queen's bucket list. That's of things that's that we one have of the meetups we're gonna have with our fans. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Once, you know, it's Mothman safe, Festival. we're all going to meet up at the hotel. Socially oh. distant Mothman Festival would be hysterical. Um, so besides being in Rhinelander, it was also in Scooby-Doo. It made it. Um, yeah, that's how you know. Yeah, for sure. It was an episode in 2012. Um, to second that it made it, it's in the book, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. <laughs> That's cute. but you have to get the version that was published after 2017 when the movie came out mm. um but it was in there and i remember reading it um and i got so excited because i was like i remember this weird animal thing so um the place that it's probably most famous other than in rhinelander is it's featured in several paul bunyan stories um including paul bunyan's natural history which is a book that is real that I found online, and it's very strange. 
Um, yeah, that makes sense. Spoiler alert, not the most accurate natural history in the whole wide world. Um, no. No. But le- the legend on one website, so I don't know how prevalent this actually is, but on one website, legend says that the Hodeg's previous life was actually being Paul Bunyan's ox and pulling his wagon. So I guess Babe the Blue Ox died and then became a Hodeg. Uh, wow. That's, that's a downgrade if I ever heard one. I'm yeah. <laughs> I would rather be a big old bull than a Hodeg. Um, and if you're wondering where the name Hodeg comes from, it is a smushed together of horse and dog. <laughs> it doesn't even look like... Okay. This guy really... He... Listen. Wow. I think this is like one of the funniest cryptids if only because like... <laughs> if only because this man went to great lengths to convince sure the entire did. town this was real and succeeded until zoologists were like about to come look at this thing. So that's why it's my favorite cryptid because it just is so funny. He just he just leaned right on in. He, he leaned in. He was like, I'm not quitting now. And so he just kept going. I admired that dedication. So Emily, the hodeg is not a horse. But your cryptid is. It is. And uh, like I said earlier, how uh, when I get to mine, you'll know why. Of course, the horse girl picks Pegasus. <laughs> Did we establish that. that? Like, we have like three out of five of us are horse girls. Yeah. Wait, three. Maybe it's just two. You and Kenzie. Yeah. I think it's. Yeah, I was about to say, who's the third? <laughs> it's yeah. not me. I was the crazy rabbit lady. That was my nickname in high school. <laughs> Well, I'm the horse girl, and like all horse girls do, we love horses. Therefore, I'm talking about Pegasus. Um, So, the tale of Pegasus was first told by Greek mythology. Um, However, it has snuck its way into many different cultures, uh, sharing the stories of it around the world. So, um, it's a pretty worldwide known um, cryptic animal. Um, Pegasus shows up in classic movies like Hercules, uh, classic, um, Harry Potter, uh, Marvel movies like Thor and Avengers Endgame, tear. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Endgame makes me cry a lot. (laughs) Um, there's even, uh, Nike has shoes named Air Pegasus. I need to see these shoes. Um, I don't know about all of you, but I went to public school, and even in public school, they taught us about Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. So we were aware of Pegasus even just by school. That um, was my second favorite lesson right after um, Egyptian history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know then, why, what it is, but you were either like an Egypt kid or you were a Greek mythology kid. Oh, I was a Greek mythology kid all the time. Was, I was a Greek mythology kid. Mostly because, like, Percy Jackson. I don't yeah, know yeah, the relation. Yeah. What? <laughs> it's, it's the greatest kids, like, it's, it's up there with Harry Potter for me, of the best, like, young adult book series. 
They're so well, good. I didn't read. <laughs> it's all about like Greek gods and goddesses and like Greek mythology. So you'd probably enjoy it, Emily. 10-4. Um, <laughs> anyways. <laughs> um, my college that I went to, their academic seal even has a Pegasus on it. Oh. Um, so the Pegasus is extremely common. Um, but if you don't know who Pegasus is, uh, it is a immortal divine winged white horse that can fly. Um, it was the, the child of Poseidon and Medusa, um, which were Greek gods and goddess. Um, if she was considered a goddess or she she was, um, uh, what the heck is it called? The Gorgon. Gorgon? Yeah. yeah, so she was cursed because um, Athena found her and Poseidon diddling in her temple. Diddling? <laughs> yeah. And so because they were dib- diddling in her temple, she was like, I curse you, and also your two sisters who didn't do anything. But there's some debate on whether or not she was like cursed because she was there, or Athena cursed her so that gods would stop trying to have sex with her. Uh, Perseus uh, was sent to attack Medusa, where that is where Perseus cut Medusa's head. Um, and beware of some gore content here. Um, but from her blood, that after she was like cut off, like her head was cut off, um, her blood mixed with the foam of the sea, which is where Poseidon reigned, and thus Pegasus was born. And somehow this makes. Poseidon and Medusa question mark Greek mythology is a is a it's It's confusing so now that I've said that (laughs) um Pegasus was able uh to create like rivers with just the strike of a single hoof um so a lot of like the really beautiful springs like were in thanks to Pegasus um, and Pegasus was used to slay monsters and fight evil, uh, was a part of many, many Greek myth stories. Um, but eventually along the line, Pegasus did end up with Zeus, uh, where it would end up bringing Zeus his thunder and lightning whenever he needed it. And, um... Pegasus symbolized immortality um, and the journey to heaven. And the reason that this was is because, well, one, Pegasus was immortal. And um, number two, Pegasus was often seen flying up to heaven. So that's why it symbolizes the journey there. Um, And it was definitely explained as a horse, which it gets kind of confusing because the horse definitely needed to be tamed um, and ridden. But yet it also had many qualities that implied that Pegasus had a conscience at the same time. So, anthropomorphizing, question mark? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, but Zeus ended up giving Pegasus constellation, um, which actually ended up being the seventh largest constellation, uh, which makes Pegasus even more of a common household myth. Um, and you can find Pegasus represented in many ancient works of art, uh, even some of the coins that they used for money, and can still be found and represented 
various forms of media today. Nice. I wish I had a flying horse. For real. I want to fly on a horse with lightning bolts being charioted to me. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, there's probably, what, zero evidence that that's a real thing, so... As far as cryptids are concerned, I think Pegasus is more of like a, I don't even know, I guess a myth, even though obviously a lot of them are shrouded in myth. Listen, you don't know. Were you alive at the time of Greek gods? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> but, you know, okay. <laughs> Anyways, we, I mean, I had a lot of fun researching this topic. It's definitely not um something I've dived too deep into before as far as just, you know, knowing what some cryptids are. But we hope you guys enjoyed hearing some of our uh, little opinions on cryptids. And if you want, please share with us some cryptids that you might um, have missed in this episode, which we talked about, that you uh, think are pretty neat as well. Uh, but for our conservation, con- uh, concert, con- this one always gets me. Conservation conversation. <laughs> there we go. Um, yes. How are we connecting this to conservation? Well, there are so many species still being discovered. Whether it is something like, you know, the Loch Ness monster, or like an actual tiny lizard that was discovered like last week, a new species of I don't know, like gecko. Um, as an example, but there have been 71 new species discovered in 2019 alone. So it's really important to preserve the species we already know, though. Um, when we discover new species, we don't want them to already be endangered, right? We want them to be thriving um, so that it's even more exciting when we find them. Uh, and then going along with that, When we're looking for things like cryptids or other adventures, wherever we go, we always want to make sure, like we said earlier, no trace. We are always picking up after ourselves and after others, too, even if it's not your trash, when we visit these natural habitats. Especially if it's like an ecotourism thing, like really be respectful of the environment that you are visiting. Yeah. Um, next week's episode, just to give you guys a little bit of a sneak peek, we will be getting into Tiger King. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, um, I know I'm a lot stressed of people, already. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know a lot of people requested that of us in the beginning of our podcast when we first got started. Um, it is quite a topic, so I think that's why we kind of pushed it off. Plus, we mentioned it in our Let's Talk About Zoos episode, but very briefly, um, but with the recent news of Carol Baskin being on Dancing with the Stars, we felt it was a good time to bring it back again. So that's yeah. what you guys have to look forward to next week. Um, thank you guys so much for joining us. Keep following us on Conservation Queens um, podcast on Instagram and on our Facebook. And tell your friends and go out there and stay sustainable. Bye. Oh, 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 oh,